Just like a muscle, here we will grow stronger for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. So please, brothers and sisters, join me here at Jacked for Jesus. Welcome back everybody to Jacked for Jesus. My name is Andrew Kufal and <laughs> I'm going to start things off by chuckling a little bit about, about that intro. Um, something I whipped together this morning and uh, <laughs> it's something else, but um, I hope it made you guys laugh too. So Anyway, today we are starting day four of the series Warfare and Servitude. Um, and today I'm trying out my microphone I got, so hopefully the sound is alright. And maybe a little bit better than what, how it was before. Um, but today we are talking about the servitude aspect I'll be talking about today um, in this episode is hopeful love. And that kind of sounds very general or broad. Um, but I hope to clarify what I mean by that here in a little bit. And then the warfare side of things is like distorted scripture or distorted obedience um, coming from temptation from evil one. So, um, uh, another quick announcement before I pray, I have moved this podcast onto outside of Spotify, so it's just on Spotify, but I have moved it outside of Spotify, um, so if you have any friends that, uh, you think would like to listen to this or whatever, um, please feel free to share, um, so I have, I have this podcast in a bunch of different places, so, okay, um, I could go ahead and pray to start this time together. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for the resources to um, share your word and talk about your majesty and your glory and your honor, Lord. Um, thank you for being so gracious to us. Um, thank you for giving me the outlet and the platform to Speak boldly about what you tell us, Lord, about the truth you give us, um, about the treasures that you that you want us to store in your heart, in our hearts, Lord. Um, thank you for sealing us in your hand, and thank you for um, thank you for loving us and saving us despite our sin, despite our evilness, Lord. You died on the cross uh, as we were still the worst of sinners, Lord, as when we were still your enemies. You died for us, Lord, because you loved us that much. Help us, Lord, to love others in that same way. Help us to live graciously and f and with with um, full of hope, Lord. Help us to live full of hope, and help us to be merciful to those around us, Lord. Um, and help us be there for one another, especially as believers. Um, <laughs> and even though I chuckle, Lord, at the intro, um, I'm beyond thankful, Lord, that you have given me this um, to given me this space and the resources to um, speak with other people and to um, talk about the mysteries of, of your gospel, Lord. Um, I pray that this time would be fruitful. Um, and Holy Spirit, please go before me and ahead of me in this time. Um, and please, Lord, just touch the hearts of the people listening. Um, and touch my heart too, Lord, as I, as I speak today. And I pray that... Um, Everything said would not be my opinion or how I see things, but rather um, the truth that you give us, Lord, your voice, um, your perspective, Lord, and help us to walk in the spirits and help us walk with the perspective that you give us um, through your holy words, Lord. Uh, and we just take this time to thank you, Lord, and to be mindful of what you've done for us. Um, we pray all of this in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Okay, with that, I want to jump straight into scripture 
Um, today I'm going to be reading from First uh, John chapter three, and it's fairly short, so I think I'm going to read it all the way through, and then I have a couple more verses to read and talk about after that. So, for everyone joining me, I am starting at First John chapter three. And I am also reading from the ESV translation, in case anybody was curious. Um, so, I'll just go ahead and start here. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not, it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps, who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God and makes no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Love one another. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given. Okay, that should wrap up um, 1 John chapter 3. Um... Some of the things I want to pull from here, and this is a really good chapter, this is a really good letter, um, and for those of us who have been are uh, familiar with the New Testament, 
the way John writes and the way Paul writes is too, very different. So I always have to like sit back and, and just think, wow, this is definitely a different writing style. Um, but some spots I wanted to talk about is that... Um, What John's talking about here is he's kind of speaking, and I'm just kind of generalizing or summarizing. Generally, what he's talking about here in this chapter is that our deeds and our actions help show who we belong to. Um, now, I want to be very careful. I don't want us to be in the mindset that our deeds are the reason we are one way or the other. Um, like, for example, John talks about Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. And it's easy to read that and to think, oh, well, then if we act righteous, if we are righteous in our actions and our deeds, that means we are righteous. And um, in a sense, that might not be inaccurate. Um, but I want to make it clear that we cannot be righteous unless we have been born again in God, if we, unless we've been born again in Jesus Christ, unless we have been created anew in Jesus Christ. So I want us to hold on to that as we maneuver this conversation, talking about First John. Um, and I'm pretty sure he clears that up in the beginning, um, earlier in the letter or the epistle. But I just want to bring that back to the um, forefront before we start this conversation. But speaking about how actions and sin, well, how love, action, and sin can help show us who we are, I think it comes from a certain place of heart posture. And I think this is what John is getting at. Let me try to find a quote here. Uh, in the beginning, he's kind of talking about we need to be, um, since, like it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so he's talking about um, the second coming of Christ, or when we see Christ face to face, um, when we pass into this world into the next. But he's talking about how Christ's work in us has not been completely fulfilled. In a sense, it's been fulfilled because we've been we've been saved. We have been um, we have been guaranteed salvation. So, um, in a sense, we already have been justified. We talk about three like pillars of salvation. We have justification, sanctification, and um, glorification. And so, I think what John's talking about here is like yes, we've been justified. So we know that we will be. Uh, finished, the work in us will be finished at some point, um, but it hasn't happened yet. That's kind of what he's saying. But he's saying that we should try to purify ourselves. I'll just read the quote. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So he's saying, by hoping in Jesus Christ, we purify ourselves. We're being purified by putting our belief and our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. And then he continues the conversation um, by making a very bold statement and says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And what he's talking about here, or what uh, I believe he's talking about here, um, is that the idea of lawlessness, and this is kind of a, unfortunately, this is kind of a rampant ideology now, at least in the United States, um, it's this idea that morality isn't really um, something secure. That morality is kind of subject subjective. That morality kind of ebbs and flows depending on the context. And while I think morality can change a little bit on the context, 
um, this whole idea of subjective morality is what I would call lawlessness. And I think that's what kind of what John's talking about here as well. Is he he's saying those who practice sin who practice who make a practice of sinning. So this isn't just oh we're struggling with sin we're not perfect yet. Um, if if that was the case if we had to completely stop sinning um, then we would all be judged and that's part of the reason we need Jesus uh, to be our Lord and Savior to be our Redeemer is because when until we have been glorified we we cannot fully escape. Um, the law of our flesh, because we are in our flesh. Um, but because of J Jesus Christ, um, our flesh has died in its sin, and our, our, our spirit has been saved um, by the work Jesus Christ has done on the cross. But I think what he's trying to emphasize is he says a practice of sinning. And to me, this feels like habitual sin, or like it's almost something where they just do it because they like it, and they're not really too worried about it, and it's just kind of this habitual, uh, almost routine kind of thing. And he says, the, those people practice lawlessness. They practice this idea that there is no law, there is no moral law, there is no objective morality. And unfortunately, in this culture, this is very widespread. Um, so I kind of just wanted to tie that in back into our current situa situation right now and help kind of bring that to the forefront um, before we dig deeper into the conversation. Because then he continues... And saying, yes, he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So he's saying, those of us who are in have no sin. We have been cleansed of our sin. So that goes back to saying, salvation is only by faith, it's not of works. And I think John's trying to make that clear here. But then he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. So he's saying, anybody who stays in Jesus Christ will not keep on sinning. And that sounds... That sounds condemning to a lot of us as Christians, because a lot of us as Christians have been born again, and yet we, we, we still struggle with some sort of sin. Even as a sin as doubt, doubt is sinning, um, pride is sinful. I mean, all of these things, or if we boast that's sinful, there's so many little things that is so ingrained in society um, that even we as Christians uh, fall victim to that sin a lot, um, especially myself, or laziness, or sensuality, even just like um, indulgement, um, with entertainment, all these other things. So it's clear that he's saying, well, if you've been born again, that you, sh you just can't, you can't sin anymore. I don't think that's what he's saying. But what he's saying is those of us who stay in Jesus Christ, who abide in him, we will get to a point where we are no longer sinning. And now I don't think that point happens while we're on this earth, um, Maybe, but I, I really don't think so. Um, there's only a couple cases where people have gone to heaven be and before dying. There was Elijah. Uh, but regardless, I think for like 99.99% of us, um, that point isn't going to happen here on earth. I think it's going to happen in heaven. And But I think that what he, that's what he means by that. He's saying, if we persist in that manner, if we persist in trusting in Jesus, we will be to a point where we have no sin and we are no longer sinning. And I think that kind of uh, that kind of summarizes most of the chapter. He kind of talks about the same thing, but with righteousness. And again, we can only be righteous because we are in Jesus Christ, because we have been um, sealed in the Spirit and born again in Jesus. It's the only way we can be made righteous before God. Um, and once we have done that, when God looks at us, He sees 
Jesus' righteousness. He no longer sees our sins. But there is this idea of practical righteousness, of living righteously, that we do have to grow into as Christians. And I think John's talking about that as well. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that kind of um, finishes that little section out. But then he moves into this conversation of loving one another. And he, and he uses the example of Cain. Cain's the one that killed his brother Abel uh, with a rock very in the beginning of Genesis. Uh, he makes a very clear point that love is very important and, and that love is another, um, I guess, testament to who has been born again in Christ and who has not been born again in Christ. He says, whoever... Oh, man, I lost it. Uh... Darn it. <laughs> I just had it. It says, whoever does not love abides in death. So he's saying, whoever is not loving, whoever is um, clearly not loving other people, abides into death. So he's saying, they are headed towards destruction. They are headed towards hell. They are abiding in death. This is very much a contrast or juxtaposition to his conversation earlier about those of us who abide in him, that we, we will no longer sin. So in a sense, he's kind of tying to the idea that not loving other people is kind of sinful. It's kind of um, evil in its own sense. And that as, as children of God, we are called to love each other as Jesus Christ has loved us. And then he talks about how we ought to love because he laid down his life for us in an ultimate example of love. Um, which I think a lot of us are familiar with, but if you're not... Um, Jesus Christ came down to the earth as fully man, fully God, and died on the cross in our place. He imputed our sin into him. He took the world's sin and paid the punishment for it. He paid the price. Um, and by his work on the cross, he died to our sin. And then he rose again in, in, in new life. He rose again because he could not be conquered by death. He conquered death. He took death and sin, and he, he, took the, he took it upon himself, and then rose again, so that all of us who believe in him will die in our sin, our body will die in our sin, we will we'll share in his crucifixion, and then we too will be raised from the dead, that we too will be with him in, he in heaven, that we too will share um, his inheritance. And only by that um, can we be forgiven of our sins, only by that can we actually make it into heaven. Um, but anyway, John's talking about that as the ultimate example of love, which, yes, <laughs> I very much agree with. Um, he also talks, he, uh, I love this line. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So what is he saying here? He's saying there's a difference between loving in your words and living in your talk, between actually loving in deeds and in truth. So he's saying, it's... In a sense, it's almost easy to come off as loving if you're just using your words. And we see this a lot in our culture. We say, we love you. Um, we completely affirm what you're doing. So you go do you. And that's a big thing here in the United States, especially transgender ideology, homosexuality. Um, these very sinful things that is very much against God's design. Um, and very much against natural law. Um, but we say, we love you, so we're going to let you do this. It's just a word. Um... And versus what John is saying is if we truly love him, we should put it into an action. We should put it into truth. We should say, I love you, so 
here's the truth. Let me explain the truth to you. Or let's explore the truth together. That's not creates truth because truth cannot be created. Um, it can't be something we define ourselves. It's something... Um, it's something we discover. We discover the truth. And those of, those of us who have discovered the truth of Jesus Christ, um, who, whom God has chose to call us and choose us out of His eternal grace and mercy, He's saying, we should love others in deed and in truth. Um, because it contrasts a lot of the love um, the rest of the world talks about, which is, uh, which is a lot of emotions, a lot of words. He's saying, Take all of that, that's good, and put it in deed and truth as well. And that's how you should love everyone, not just your brothers. I mean, he talks about brothers here, but there's other points in the Bible um, where it's your if your family, your enemies, and that's how we should love them. That's how Jesus challenges us to love them, and that's how John is also challenging us to love each other. And he talks about that as being a testament of being born again in Christ. Um, he also talks about our heart, or I would almost translate as our consciousness. If we feel like we're being condemned, then we can have confidence because God is greater than the condemnation of our heart. But if we do not feel condemned by our heart, we can have confidence before God, knowing that we have done, um, or at least we feel like we have done what we what the best the, the best we could have done. But either way, it goes back to God's grace. Um, if we feel like we're not being condemned, then praise the Lord because He's cleaned me of my sin. If I do feel like I'm being condemned, praise the Lord because His grace is greater than my feeling of condemnation. And I think that's really beautiful. He talks about commandments. Those of us who follow His commandments, which is uh, love the Lord your God and love one another. Um, and that those of us who keep his commandments abide to God and God in him, saying we're together, we're united, um, still just by his grace. Um, but also by following his commandments, it's, it's a testament to that. I think that's what he's really making clear. Only God truly knows the hearts of men. So only God truly knows who he has saved and who he has not. But I think a lot of what this is talking about is this idea of practical righteousness, Showing the world that we have been made clean. Showing the world that we truly are born again. And it, it comes back to love and deeds and actions and truth. Um, and that's why uh, we see the apostles, uh, how they went about things. It was a lot of action. It was a lot of sharing the truth. They didn't just say, oh yeah, we love everyone. Everyone's good. We can just sit back and do whatever. Um, they showed people their love. They showed people their commitment to the Lord by their character, by their actions. By the truth that they shared. Um, and I think we're called to be the same way. Not because it guarantees our salvation. But because it's part of being a good servant. And that's why I wanted to talk about it today. Um, but with that in mind. I also want to read. Um, Matthew chapter 22. Verses 37 through 39. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. And he said to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul. And with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that kind of summarizes what I was saying before. But it also has three things here. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And so I think that kind of ties into this idea that if we truly love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind, then we have submitted ourselves to Him. We are submitted to the Lord. 
Um, and out of that place, it it will be easier to love one another if we truly feel loved by God, if we truly see how God has loved us in the past. Um, and I think it kind of shows us the progression of see how the Lord has loved you, feel loved by the Lord, and then love other people. It comes out of a place of overflowing, the cup overflowing, um, as one of the Psalms would say. Um, but to continue this idea of hopeful love, I want to talk about, uh, I want to bring in a couple more verses um, that kind of rounds out this um, conversation of love. Um, so as believers, we're all called, called to love one another, um, especially as a uh, family of, of faith. Uh, but in Matthew five forty four, it also says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, so he's saying, yes, you should love the people that love you, um, but also love your enemies and love your enemies how Jesus Christ has loved us because we were his enemies when he died on the cross. When he gave himself up on the cross, we were his enemies and only by his grace and by his actions did we become friends of God. We became children of God. And so reflecting what Jesus Christ has done as he is holy, we should, we too shall try to be holy. That we should love our enemies in that same way. That we should give ourselves up um, for the sake of our enemies, for the sake of uh, Christ and the gospel. And um, to try to put a definition on love, because I know, especially in this culture, love is kind of, uh, it's fuzzy feelings, it's warm. It's like, love is love. That's a very common um, thing. But I think looking at what First John chapter 3 was looking at, and also what Jesus talked about, and what Jesus did, I think it's good to define love as saying, love is best described as an intentional and persistent action that lays in the truth of self-sacrifice to help other people around us, um, to serve them and to help show them the truth, to help bring them to Christ. I think that's truly love because in that way, um, we're actually helping them get closer to Christ. I think um, that's what Jesus did. He, 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 out of love, he gave himself up. And out of that action came love that we could experience. Um, he, he defeated death and sin so that we could be loved by Christ. We could be loved by God. Um, that we could live in the presence of God. So I think in the same way, um, that's how we should be. We should be self-sacrificial to other people, even our enemies, um, for their good intentions, but also in truth. That's kind of what uh, John was saying. Love in deed and in truth. And I think that's the, that's important when we define love. Um, another verse I want to talk about. In 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verse 14, Paul says, Let's all that you do be, be done in love. You're saying, saying, in all of our actions, all of our thoughts, uh, all of our emotions, let it be done in a place of love. Let it be done in love. Um, and again, we can only do that because Jesus Christ has modeled what that love looks like. He has shown us what true love is. And because of that, we can, we can um, rest in God and His promises. And in the same way, we should try to do that for other people. I think as, as a servant, that's important. Um, now, one thing I also want to talk about with this is um, the title of this episode isn't just love. It's hopeful love. What I mean by that, and it's kind of also what John was talking about. I keep going back to First John. Um, but I think another important aspect of this is that it's love at a place of hope. If we're 
always excitedly hoping for something, if we're anticipating something, and we feel God's love for us, and we just live in hope and joy and peace, it's hard not to just boil over in happiness and joy. It's hard not to just serve other people. And so I think it's important to know where our hope comes from. And one source of our hope is knowing that we one day will be in heaven and will be rewarded for the good things that we have done. And because of His grace, we will not be rewarded for the bad things we have done. Um, so that we can be with him in heaven. But I think another aspect of hope, which John talks about, is that uh, when he has appeared, or other, uh, in other words, the second coming of Christ, I think we should hope for that deep in our hearts. I think it should be an aching. Um, it's like how Paul talks about we should ache um, for spiritual gifts, but let it all be from a place of love. And I think this is the same thing. I think if we truly love God, we should hope for him, but we should also serve out of that hope. I think we should also act um, and live in truth out of that hope. But with that, with, uh, I mean that love, uh, act and and uh, speak the truth in love. But with this idea of hope. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, I think I've talked about this pretty well. Maybe even a little too much. <laughs> I apologize if I've been a little bambling, but I kind of, I really like this conversation. Um, I think it's very pivotal for us as Christians. Um, but another thing I want to mention real quick is if you need another example of how to love and what this kind of love looks like, I would encourage you to look at Paul's testimony. We uh, A lot of us are familiar with his epistles, but if you're not familiar with his story, um, look it up, find it in the Bible, and it's very clear that he was acting in this place of persecuting Christians, and he had this encounter with God, he had this realization of the truth, and out of that, he began to act immediately. I mean, he started preaching immediately, he started doing things to serve other people immediately. I mean, he lived in truth, he just grounded himself to the truth, he grounded himself to the Lord's presence and his promises and his grace and his gospel. And out of that place, he did amazing things. And the and the Lord was able to work through him a lot. I think likewise, um, we might not be as magnificent as Paul was. We might not um, impact as many people as Paul. But I think our approach uh, to servitude should be the same way. I think it should be grounding ourselves in the Lord, in His promises, in His love, in His gospel, in the truth He tells us, in His commandments. Um, and out of that place, just... just Gripping to that, gripping with faith in, in what the Lord has given us. Um, I think out of that, we can love others in action and in truth. So, um, I just want to talk about that to wrap that up. Um, but kind of on this topic, I want to um, jump into uh, the section of this episode talking about warfare. The warfare I'm talking about today is scripture being distorted or taken out of context um, or being neglected in some way, and how that affects our obedience. Um, and so anybody reading along with me, I'm going to just flip to uh, Luke chapter 4. And I would like to just read, I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read the beginning here of chapter 4, um, where Satan is tempting Jesus. So I'm just going to go ahead and start that. <laughs> And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirits in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, 
Command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you, then, will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will, be, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Why I wanted to read this, and I've already talked about some of these um, tactics of temptation from this specific section. But why I wanted to read this is I want to, sh I want to try to put into context, try to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes to truly see what it would be like. So imagine, this is hard to imagine, but imagine we are Jesus and that we have come to the world to bring God's kingdom to the people, bring his kingdom to the people, to bring, to bring God to the people, to forgive them of their sins, and that we knew we were going to have to die at the hands of our own creation, and that was the only way to do what God was wanting us to do. Now imagine that. Now imagine that someone came to you and said, look, I know you came to bring this kingdom to this world, and so... If you will worship me, you don't have to die. And all of this, all of its beautiful kingdoms can be yours and you can save your people. That's the offer being given to Jesus. And now that sounds great, right? Imagine that he's like, well, like that's what we came to do, right? Let's do it. And it sounds humble. It sounds um, noble. It sounds like a good thing. Um, but what do we know in hindsight? Jesus took that, if he took the bait, um, which he wouldn't because he's perfect and he knew exactly what he needed to do. But if, if he didn't, then all of us, every sinner that has ever existed would perish in hell. None of us would be in this kingdom that God wanted for us. And so by this one situation, everything could have gone bad. And now Jesus is perfect. He is fully man, fully God. And so he knew uh, not to listen to Satan. But as as Christians, sometimes we get lost. Sometimes we buy into promises that really sound noble, that really sound good. We buy into things like, oh, that sounds good, or uh, it can even sound religious or spiritual or whatever. We buy into these things thinking it's noble or thinking that it's serving other people. When in reality, we're buying into a um, half-truth or we're buying into a distorted promise. Or we're reading scripture and we're taking it out of context. Um... Like Satan does, he quotes, uh, I don't remember what it is, I think it's Psalms, but I could be wrong. But he's pulling these quotes out, trying to prove his point. But he's, he's leaving out important parts of scripture, talking about, put it in context, that these quotes are designed for people, for servants of God, against Satan. And so he's trying to use it for his purposes, even though he knows in the full context it's fully against him. 
Um, but I, I wanted to try to show how easy it could be um, to buy into these things. I think all of us do. We all struggle with this. We all struggle with truly understanding God's full purpose for us. And we also struggle with looking at Scripture and putting it in its full context. And now, uh, fortunately, we are in this time and era where we have so much information about God's Word. We have full access to it, or most of us do. And uh, we're blessed to have this opportunity. Um, but back then, they had the Old Testament Scriptures, but all of these new things were just happening. And so it's easy to, uh, to, to go astray. That's why we have a lot of epistles from Paul and from John and Peter. is because they were trying to keep people in line because they didn't have the internet. They didn't have uh, the book of the Bible. Um, it was all kind of spread out. Um, but it's tempting. And, it's, and it sounds kind of good. Um, but we know it's not. And so with that, um, to continue this conversation... What I want to talk about is specifically how Satan twisted scripture. There's a couple things he did that made it sound like a good argument when he was saying it, that it was actually faulty. The first thing he did is he isolated scripture. He took one specific thing and said, this one specific thing applies to all of this. So I, I think in a sense, he was applying one statement in a specific context to a different context. The context of the scripture was, um, this is talking about success and victory against the evil one, against Satan. And he knew this, but if he could isolate it, it makes it sound like um, something else. And I think that's important. He took one thing and put it outside of its context. As Christians, I think we have to be um, careful to do that. We understand that concept of some things, like sex, outside of its context of marriage, is sinful. That's very clear. But then there's other things, especially with our actions, um, when we're trying to do good things, that if we apply the scriptures outside of its context, we may be led astray. We may, we may be, do, be doing something that does align with um, God's word. Um, and I think the other way that Satan used scripture in his advantage is that he left out parts of it. If he gave the full psalm, it would be very clear that what I was talking about. So I think as Christians, we should be very careful, especially as servants, to not only understand the scripture in its context, but also to share the scripture in its context. I think we should try to contextualize scripture in a way that fits how it was originally um, contextualized, um, to help keep us from twisting scripture, even if it's, un if it's unintentional. I think it's good to keep it in its context and to give the full picture as best as we can. Or there might be misunderstanding. And this is part of the reason we have so many Christian denominations. This is part of the reason we have um, Jehovah Witnesses and all of these different um, denominations. It's also part of the reason we have false gospels. We have false teachers. We have false prophets. Is because they apply pieces of scripture and completely change it. They completely mix it with other stuff. Um, or they just take one thing and apply it outside of its context. Just like Satan did. Um, and it ceases to be what God desires. One example of this is Bethel Church. They're taking a couple of vague pieces of scripture and they're making a whole doctrine over it as very clearly false gospel. Um, and it's very dangerous, but it can come off as religious or it can come off as sounding good or it can come off as sounding noble or accurate when really it's a distortion of um, God's holy word.
And I think that should be taken very seriously. And as part, as part of the reason we're called to um, be like iron. Iron sharpens iron. And that's why Paul was so serious about keeping each other accountable, um, not just in doctrine, but in action. For example, like Peter. He was kind of being... Um, I don't know, he was acting one way with the Gentiles and, and a different way with the Jews, and he was kind of going back and forth um, and preaching one thing but believing another thing. And he just wasn't being consistent, and Paul didn't have it. He came to the apostles and said, hey, do I have the gospel? And they were like, yeah. And he said, okay, Peter, stop this. <laughs> and now, that's kind of dramatized, but that's basically what he did. And so I think it's, I think it's important to know it in our hearts, our minds, our souls, and to act it out correctly. Um, and context is important for that. Um, and I think it's very clear now, um, just with a little bit of research, to show how truly um, destructive this really is. Um, it's really dangerous. It's really dangerous. Because sometimes it's hard, it's hard to know that it's not God's will. And that's another reason why I think it's ever more important to be reading our Bible a lot. And with that, I want to move into the action items for this topic. And so... Um, looking at this idea, so looking at this twisted scripture, let's take a step back and, and go back to what our servitude was. Our servitude today was talking about hopeful love, acting out of a place of love because God first loved us, um, but doing it in a hopeful and faithful stance in God, in His second coming, in His promises, and acting out our love with our brothers, our families, and our enemies in action and in deed. Um, that's what uh, John was talking about in action indeed so looking at that if we're going to approach love in action indeed how does this um, context of distorted scripture how can that negatively affect us for one to, 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 to be loving in action and in truth we have to have the truth. <laughs> so um, that's one half of the requirement here. Is that if we're called to love in that way, then it requires us to truly know the truth. And to know the truth, we have to be fully invested in God's word. And so I think that's um, one important thing is uh, one action item is to be really is to be really diligent about understanding Scripture in its context with its intended. Um, message. Um, not just reading it and coming up what we think is right, but reading it and asking God and the Holy Spirit, please reveal to me the true understanding of what I'm reading right now. Um, and another part of that is action. And that's the whole reason why I'm doing this series, is to look at how we can act and what we can do um, to be servants of Christ, to truly um, do what He's asked us to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's important. A lot of things, some of it's, um, very normal. Like, we should share the gospel. Um, we should talk to other people. We should be open about our faith. We should openly declare our faith. Um, we should be baptized. Uh, all these kind of things. But then there's other aspects of it, like, um, we should be seeking to have a certain character. We should be seeking to be conformed to Christ's character. We should be persistent in sharing the faith and defending the faith. I think that's also very important. Uh, we should be faithful. We shouldn't give in to the lust of the flesh, eyes, and pride. We, sh we shouldn't put um, other things over God. Um, so there's, uh, there's, there's so much more about this conversation. Um, so if you're curious more about those actions, I would recommend to 
go back and read, uh, not read, but look at my other podcasts, or just read the epistles for yourself. It makes it very clear. Paul does a good, a really good job of um, taking the truth of the gospel and applying it to life and action. Um, either way, that helps with the context part of this. Other action items is to focus on loving everyone around us, especially the people that we don't like. And I know we're all guilty of this. Even as born-again Christians, I know there's certain people that just rub us the wrong way, or they just irritate us. Um, and we're impatient, and we don't want to talk to these people. But if we have this attitude, then we are neglecting those people of knowing the truth that can set them free. And so, what's the risk? The risk is, this person doesn't like me. But if we're not going to talk to them anyway because we don't like them, then it doesn't accomplish anything. It's just spreading the lack of the truth. It's just spreading the lack of the gospel. And so even if it results in confrontation, and I think we should approach it in a gentle and meek and humble way, but if we're taking the action to try to share the truth, there's at least possibility of it catching on to them. Um, we don't know where they're at in their gardening process. We know that um, the Lord is has a gardening um, rhythm for everybody. We don't know if they've just been seeded or if they're being watered or if they're ready to harvest. Wherever step that they're at, um, help us engaging with other people actively, being willing to defend and to share, is how we love everyone around us. Um, and that includes talking to people we don't like or people we know may not like our message. Um, we just have to approach it um, gently and humbly. Um, but if the uh, if the apostles were like that, Paul wouldn't have gone and talked to the Gentiles. He knew all of these Gentiles believed in different gods. He was basically he was going and saying, "Hey, all these gods you think is real aren't." <laughs> and so he he knew that he was going to upset a lot of people. But because he loved them, um, he went and shared anyway. And I think as Christians. We're not going to be perfect about this, but I think we should have the desire to make that effort. Um, and that's definitely really convicting to me right now. Um, but that's why we're talking about this. Another action item is meditating on how we have neglected our duty as servants due to our dislike of someone or something or some ideology. For example, let's say we, like, we're pretty chill with everybody. Maybe you, you don't have a lot of people you don't like, um, but you really, really don't like the topic of transgenderism. Maybe you're really, really worried of engaging with other people on that topic. And if that's the case, then even though we kind of feel like we're okay with everybody, we're not acting, and we're not acting in truth. And so we're not really loving them in that aspect. Um, just because we're fearful of engaging um, a topic in that, in that, in that ideology. I think that fear has been holding a lot of Christians back, especially during COVID, especially uh, just in the last couple of decades. That fear of hurting people's feelings has definitely um, slowed the, the spreading of the truth and the gospel. I think now as servants, more important than ever, um, we should pray that God would help us with those fears so we can engage boldly and steadfast, uh, steadfastly and just um, be really ready to engage um, despite what the situation may be, because the context is never going to be completely perfect and pretty. Um, and it's been really destructive to, to the church. Even to the point where the church is now conceding biblical truths um, just to try to get more people to like them. That goes back to um, being unbiblical. 
and unloving because it's not in truth. Another action item is praying for clarity in our understanding of the scripture and clarity for feeling God's presence, influence, and calling in our life. Um, and that goes back to love. If we truly want to love other people like Christ loved us, we need to understand what his word says. We need to understand how God is wanting us to move. We need to be sensitive to how God is nudging us or what he's calling us to do or how he's speaking to us. I think that's really important for because for some of us, we may have spiritual gifts that we, we have no understanding or knowledge about. So I think it's important to pray to God earnestly about these things so we can have proper understanding so that God can use us how he, how he wants to. Another action item is to remain hopeful. I think this is really important. This is something I've been struggling with. Um, I'm just on Christmas break. I have a lot of time and I haven't been good at being hopeful. I haven't been good at being persistent and diligent in my relationship with the Lord. I think remembering the promises God has made for us helps bring back that hope and helps bring back that passion and that fire to serve the Lord. And I also think it's important to pray for Jesus Christ to come back. If we truly are struggling, um, and if we truly want to obey what the Bible says, in Revelations it says to everyone reading this book, pray, Lord, come. It says everyone who's thirsty, say come. Let the bride and the spirit say come. And so all of us now as Christians, we should be praying, come. Um, because I know we're all tired. Um, but until then, let us remain hopeful um, and steady in our love with other people and being willing to engage how Christ wanted us to engage with people. The last action item is to meditate on our efforts and to, and to reflect on whether our efforts, or our actions, are truly of God's will or if they're a distortion of God's will. Are we truly acting in God's will or are we buying for a half-truth? Are we buying into a half-promise? Um, and that's hard, but this is part of taking every thought captive, um, which is the, what the last day, I think the last day of the series was taking every thought captive. I guess it was two days ago. So the second day of this of this um, series was taking ourselves captive, taking our thoughts captive. And this is a hard thing to chew on, but I think it's fruitful for us to reflect on it and to meditate on. What are my actions saying? And if, if John makes such a big deal about saying our actions testify to who we're serving and who we belong to, I think it's important for us to sit down and say... What is my actions testifying? What is my character testifying to? Is it, is it testifying to God or is it testifying to the world? Is it testifying to Jesus or is it testifying to the evil one? Is my um, actions testifying to truth or is it testifying to lawlessness? And these are all hard questions to ask, but I pray that we would just um, make a more and more of an effort to take ourselves captive in this sense, to meditate on that. Um, and I'm definitely convicted of this, guys, too. <laughs> That's why I'm uh, I'm doing a side series called Life Convictions. It's because I want to be transparent about the way I'm being convicted. And this, and this, today's episode is definitely um, hitting home with me. So I hope it's touched your guys' hearts. I hope this has been fruitful for all of us. Um, I know it's been fruitful for me. Um, I thank you guys for listening. And <laughs> I thank you guys for <laughs> sitting through that uh, kind of tacky intro. But it's what I got. And I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna work with what I have. So um, with that, I'm going to pray us out and, uh, and wrap things up. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this time together. Thank you for allowing me to speak with my brothers and sisters for... Um,
Thank you for allowing me to talk about your gospel, talk about your truth, um, talk about ways that your truth is distorted and made unclean, Lord, by uh, by our efforts, the flesh's efforts, or by Satan's efforts, Lord. And I pray that you would give us proper understanding, that we would be sensitive to your presence, that we'd be sensitive to your desires, your promises, um, your voice, Lord. We, we know that you have an ever still small voice in us and help us Lord to hear that voice help us to know what you want us to do we know that we all are called to serve uh, for your sake and for the sake of the gospel mark 835 says if you if we try to hang on to our life we'll lose it but if we give up our life for your sake and for the good news we will save it Lord and I pray that that would just be our prayer that, that would be our motto in this time Lord that we would just be earnest and passionate about giving ourselves up for you lord and for your gospel and i pray that you would give us courage and you would equip us with the armor of god so that we can go out into the world um, as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves lord um and just help us lord to um live in love and joy and peace but also in hope lord help us to know your love and help us to love others um likewise um Thank you for your your mercy and your grace, Lord. And I uh, I just thank you for this time together, Lord. Uh, I thank you for your love, for saving me, for choosing me, Lord. You know that I had a stubborn heart, and I still have a hard heart, Lord. I pray that you would soften me and mold me like clay. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Um, for I was, I was such a sinner, Lord, and yet you... Loved me so much to give me a chance, to give me the option, an opportunity to know you, uh, to find the truth, to truly find love in you, Lord. And you, you called me, you chose me, Lord. You say you choose us, Lord. I thank you, Lord. If I deserve, I don't, I, I don't deserve. I, 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 I don't deserve it, Lord. I don't deserve any part of it. I deserve hell. I deserve to burn in hell. But by your grace and mercy, I am here, Lord, in truth. Um, in your presence, with the promise of eternity in your in your house, Lord, the promise of new life, and I I just I'm I thankful I'm thankful, Lord, and all of us who are thankful, help us to be diligent, persistent servants, Lord. Help us to speak boldly and passionately for and in defense of the faith and the gospel and the truth. And help give us a burden of lost souls so that we may work ever harder for all of these people who don't know you, who are abiding in death, Lord. Help us to help, help us help these people, Lord. Help us with that. We pray all of this in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Um, and we love you, Lord. Amen. Alright guys, thank you for listening. Um, God bless you all. I hope the audio has been better, and I, I hope that even though the intro is kind of um, tacky, I hope it brings a smile on your guys' face and that it's a good introduction to all of this. So, I'll be back soon for maybe day five of the series, or I might start another one. I'm not entirely sure yet, but I'll get back to you soon, um, either with the next episode of this or starting a new episode. So, I love all of you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I pray that God's with you and he's blessing all of you. Um, and let us as servants of Christ just uh, persist and take ourselves captive um, for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. I'll see you guys soon and uh, God bless.